0: This audio was recorded during a one-day workshop titled Pursuing a Mission Lifestyle Through Gospel Communities. Um, okay, so in that last session we were working away on 1 Thessalonians 2 and what we did was we dug down uh, really deep into how Paul went about discipling the Thessalonian Christians and we saw there that there are a few key principles that are just really important when it comes to to discipling people full stop. Um, and, and regardless of kind of what strategy you go with, what structures you use in church, uh, these are things that, that you do kind of need to deal with that are the, sort of the non-negotiables, if you like. Uh, first of all, you've got to have the right motivation, uh, which we saw had nothing to do with pleasing people, but rather that it was all about the pleasure and the glory of God. Next, we saw that your approach to discipleship needs to be word-centred. So, it's got to have at its core the proclamation of the Word of God, which, as I said, is something that I think in our scene we're generally pretty good at and we work very hard at. But the final thing uh, that we saw is that effective discipleship requires life sharing. And really, that's the thing that we genuinely struggle with, or generally struggle with, in our churches. And I think that's a tragedy, really, because it's just so important in the Bible. Um, And yet, most of our church structures tend to leave it pretty much up to chance. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. We very rightly don't leave teaching up to chance, do we? I I certainly hope the church doesn't do that. We don't just go, well, hopefully people will get that reading the Bible together is important. So, let's not bother putting anything in place to make sure good Bible teaching happens. We'll just let people work that out on their own. We'd never dream of that, would we? No, we think it's so important that we actually structure church life around it. Um, We gather together on Sundays to hear sermons. We have Bible study groups. Uh, We we organise one-to-one discipleship relationships, all sorts of things. And rightly so. Um, We wouldn't leave something that important just up to chance if people happen to get around to it. So often we are happy just to leave the life-sharing stuff up to chance. Which seems crazy to me because that's absolutely essential as well. And if we're to do a good job at contextualising, that is adapting our ministry practices and structures in such a way that fit with the culture that we're trying to reach, then surely... Uh, this should be a massive thing for us, shouldn't it? Um, it's helpful to think like a missionary in this. If you go over to another country, then you know, what missionaries do is they think very carefully about their country that they're going to and they think, well, what are the challenges to Christianity in this country? What are the things that people are going to find hard? What are the strengths in the culture that we can work with? And, and you think very carefully and you structure things in such a way to enable you to do ministry effectively in that scene. Well, the thing is, we live in an incredibly, Individualistic, self-sufficient, isolating culture, where the norm is don't share what's really going on. Don't. We? Um, and yet, we leave the whole area of community and sharing and being um, helping one another, all that, all that, all that life-sharing stuff. We leave that up to chance in this culture. Now, OK, to going to a, 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 sort of a, 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 a village in Indonesia or whatever, you might go, well, actually, I can leave that up to chance there because this culture is already very, very good at sharing life and they're always in each other's houses and blah, 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 blah. So you might not work so hard, but it seems crazy to me that we would leave this area of Christianity up to chance in a culture like ours that is so self-sufficient, individualistic, um, and, and, and isolating. I think we need to work very hard at getting good systems and structures in place that help people let one another in. And I think that if we really want to lead and empower people to live mission-shaped lives, then that's going to be absolutely critical for us. Uh, now, as you can probably tell, at Summer Leaves, we've, um, we've thought a lot about this. We've worked very hard in the last six years or so Uh, at some of this stuff so I thought today what I'd do um, is just share with you how we've gone about taking the principles that we've seen in Thessalonians and try to work that in the the lives of our people. Um, Really I think when it comes to the teaching side of things I doubt that we're very much different, I'm sure we all use largely the same resources, Uh, we've got a very straight down the line reformed theology, Um, we're a confessional church as well. But what we have worked very hard at or tried to work very hard at and what I think I can offer you some food for thought in is this whole area of leading and empowering mission-shaped lives through life-sharing. Now. just while I'm sort of on the disclaimer side of things, you're very welcome to disagree with some or all of what we do. You, you might only like some of it. Um, I acknowledge we've actually still got a very long way to, to go, I think. We've got we've got lots to grow in ourselves at some of these, so I'm not one of these guys that's going to sail in um, and try and be really prescriptive and just say, look, you've got to do what we do. Um, I, I think that works very rarely anyway. Just as I said earlier, every culture is very different, every subculture is very different. Um, you've got to work out what it looks like uh, here in suburban Melbourne and... Um, for yourselves, But hopefully by me just sharing with you a little bit about how we've tackled the task, that might just help kickstart for you, how, how you might start imagining what it might look like here. Um, so that's, that's kind of the idea. So please hear, hear it that way. Um, I don't think any of the stuff I'm saying should be prescriptive. I think the principles in 1 Thessalonians are... I don't think they're negotiable and I think no matter what you do, you've got to wrestle with those and work out how you're going to express those. But the stuff I'm going to talk about now is very much just how we've done it and then you kind of need to work out how you're going to do it too. So, how do we do all of this at of these? Well, the first thing that we've done is that we've structured our church life around small communities. If you're on that outline in your booklet, we're on, we're on point one here. We structure around small communities. thing that we've come to realise is that in modern Kingborough, that's, that's the, the municipality where we live in Tasmania, people can't meaningfully share their lives with very many other people at all. And that's just a cultural thing we've come to realise. Uh, there's a certain amount of life that gets given to family, um, a whole bunch of it gets given at work. Most people tend to have a friendship circle so when it comes to their church family, there just isn't a lot of space left, even just there. Uh, when we started some of these about six years ago, I think we had, we had just under 50 people, including children, uh, and no one could meaningfully share their life with every single other person in the church, and that was, that was just around 50. Uh, now we're about 100, and there's absolutely no way that one individual is able to meaningfully share their life With that many others. Um, As I alluded to earlier, I do think that's a bit of a modern Western thing. Uh, So, I remember when I was working in the UK, I was a student worker over there doing student ministry and one of the students I was trying to reach out to was a uh, a mature aged postgrad student. He was from Libya, Muslim guy. Uh, He was a little bit older than me, but we got along pretty well and it turned out that we both had our first kids at the same time in this city in the UK. So a very special life stage that we were going through together. Uh, you know, Both of us were out of our home country, so we didn't have the grandparents and the friendship circle to support us through that. So we were, we were good friends. And I remember we were around his place one day, we were having dinner, chatting away, the babies were there playing away, and we got into that conversation about, well, how many kids do you think you'll have? Any ideas? And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe two, maybe three. Um, and he thought that was a bit funny. Uh, he said, Well, I'm thinking yeah, maybe five, possibly ten. <laughs> and my jaw just hit the floor when he said that. Um, I, was, I couldn't fathom, you know, and this you know, is our first kid, so I was writing that, I it so possible uh, just having one. You know, I, I couldn't fathom uh, what it would be like to have that many children and stay sane. Um, as I said, I was struggling with one, and my wife mainly looked after him, so I was thinking, How are you going to do this? Um, but then my friend. He explained that in his village, you actually don't look after kids on your own. It's just not what they do there. Uh, basically, every day, all of the women, mothers, sisters, in-laws, just local girls, lob up up to your house. It's, it's not uncommon to have about 20 of them there. Um, so, you've got all this help to do all the bits and pieces that need doing, the cleaning, the cooking, the, the child-minding. Um, looking after 10 kids... Isn't actually that hard when you've got 10 teenage nieces there to help you. Is it? It's easy. Very different culture. Now, over there, I reckon you probably could have a meaningful life sharing relationship with quite a lot of people. I mean, if you're used to having 20 people in your house every day, um, you know, it's like you could, you, know, you wouldn't need smaller communities in your church and just have it with everyone. I don't, I mean, I don't know how it would <laughs> Um But not so much in Kingborough, Tasmania. We're a long way off that. Um, now, again, I don't know what it's like in McKinnon or Geelong or whatever, but I'm guessing you're a lot more similar to us as a, as a village in Libya uh, and that most of your people are going to struggle to meaningfully share life with a large number of people. So, for that reason, we structure our church life around small communities. And most of the day-in, day-out business of church at Summerlee's happens in the context of small communities. That's how we do it. And the reason for that is that we go, well, here's a realistic size group of people that you can meaningfully have a crack at, including in your day-to-day life. So, we structure around small communities. But the second thing we do is we prioritise small communities as well. This one's an important one because I think the idea of structuring or at least having small communities in your church, there's nothing new or groundbreaking about that, is there? I mean, most churches I know have got some kind of small group ministry happening. Um, some kind, yeah, Whether they be growth groups, home groups, connect groups, Bible study groups, whatever, whatever you call them, they've been around for donkey's years. So nothing new there. But I think that the problem is that generally, and I'm making generalisations here, Generally speaking, our church structures don't prioritise them enough. And what I mean by that is that they're there and they, they tick over week in, week out, but we don't encourage people to give them the focus and time and attention that they need in the church culture if they're to be truly effective platforms for life sharing. Okay? I think in most churches we genuinely hope that sort of life sharing relationship stuff will happen in them, but the reality is that if you actually are going to get those kind of relationships happening, that, that takes quite a lot of time. Yeah. It, it, takes, it takes quantity time. Um, you need a lot of time with someone if you're going to share your life with them. After all, we're talking about life-sharing, not just a study period. Now, I think there's two major reasons why our structures hamper small group ministries uh, when it comes to getting life sharing happening. The first reason is that our structures make it hard to get quantity time with people. Okay, it makes it hard for us to get quantity time with the people in our small group. So, in a lot of the churches I've been a part of before, and this might be you currently, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how the kind of the church culture works with, with you guys. But in in many of the churches I've been in before, you might be in a small group, uh, but then you might spend time on a a ministry team of some sort, let's just say you help out with a a kids program or something like that. Um, So already, in addition to your church small group, you're also spending time with a a bunch of other people who, who aren't in that small group already. Um, which of course involves significant time. Let's just say that you also meet one-to-one with someone else and it could be entirely possible that that person isn't in your small group either. Um, And then let's just say you want to evangelise your friends, so you take them to the Christianity Explored type course that your, your church runs, which again will be with a totally different kind of crew of people. Now, just that much time is pretty much all that your average churchgoer's got. If that, actually, what I'm describing is actually really quite an involved um, key sort of person, I guess. You're probably your average person, probably wouldn't even, even be that involved, have that much time. So, our structures often encourage us to spend our time in such a way that we're spread very thin relationally. And the thing is, the further you spread, the less life you can meaningfully share. Yeah, that the further you're spread, the further you try to spread yourself out over a, over a large group of relationships, the, the less life you'll share with each of those people and the less depth you'll share with each of those people as well. If you, if you really want your small group to be a vehicle for life sharing, you need to declutter and streamline everything else a bit to enable people to get the time together. Uh, so I think the first way that, um, that, that we, we, we can hamper the effectiveness of small groups is that we don't allow enough time in them. I think the second way that our structures can hamper life-sharing in small groups is to do with our expectations of what happens in small groups. So the first problem is how much time we give people in them. The second thing is what we expect people to do once they are in them. Now again, generally speaking, I reckon what most people expect in a small group is roughly an hour or a couple of hours a week or a fortnight spent in a nice, controlled, adult-dominated environment where the kids are being tucked into bed, the house is spotless, you've hastily wrapped up the argument that you've had with your spouse and you've got that nice Christian face on that you take on Sundays sometimes and the whole way you behave and the things that you do are Utterly different from what the rest of your week looks like. Yeah. Now, can you see that if that's the case, there's not going to be a lot of life sharing there. Not a lot of life sharing. Now, again, hear me correctly on this. I'm not against adult Bible studies. I think they're a very important part of what, what churches should do and, and actually I think they're an important part of what small communities should do. And at some of these... They are a big part of what we do in our small groups. But if that's all you'll do, again, you're teaching people information, but you're not modelling and sharing life so much. And it's important to get that, I think. I'd say that actually pretty much in most cases any real life sharing is left up to chance. So we hope it'll happen in the small group, but it's left to chance as to whether it actually does or not. There's nothing actually in place to encourage people to meet one another's kids, spend time with each other's families, help each other in the joys and strains of life. Nothing that actually spurs people to share actual lives with one another. And of course, as I said, if you spread out very thinly over lots of people, you're not going to have the time to do it anyway. So where does that leave us? Well, where that leaves us is that you generally wind up with only a very small percentage of your church, and it's generally the super keen people that get around to life sharing, and even then, what they generally do is share it with each other. So your, your, your super keen people will seek out life sharing, but... Where they'll find it is with the other super keen people who are open to it and up for it and and, and it'll kind of happen. But it'll happen with a small percentage, doing it with another small percentage. Whereas the other 70 to 80% of your church that really needs to grow um, and really needs discipling uh, won't experience it at all. At best, they get one part of the 1 Thessalonians discipleship strategy. Can you see where we've sort of gone so far? So, at some of these, um, not only have we recognised the need for these small communities, but we also have worked very hard at trying to prioritise them by structuring most of our church life around them. Okay, so, so, like most other churches, we do Bible study in them. Of course we do. But we also do most of our youth and children's ministry in them as well. Um, when all of our small communities come together for a Sunday gathering... We don't actually have a roster that has individuals on it. We roster on our gospel communities and then the, the community itself decides, okay, well, you guys can do crush. we'll you do the Bible reading, I'll pray, and when we leave that to the community. They will serve in that together. Um, we do our one-to-one discipleship within our gospel communities. Nearly all of our pastoral care happens within our gospel communities. I'm actually involved, I mean I'm very involved in pastoral care in the gospel community I'm in, but I'm, I'm not very involved at all in, uh, in most of the pastoral care that happens in the rest of our church. That gets taken care of in gospel communities. And as I'll show you in a minute, nearly all of our missionary endeavours and evangelistic efforts happen in gospel communities as well. Um, I I use this term, gospel community. Over in the the US, people tend to call them missional communities. Really, the name doesn't matter too much. Don't get caught up on that. It's just looking for a way uh, or or a title um, for uh, what we're trying to do with these communities, I guess. And and we think gospel community is a great name because it's a community that's shaped by, by the gospel of Jesus. We make them as diverse as we possibly can, so men and women together, little children right through to our oldest members. Um, we encourage people to see them as a community that they live in and share life in, as opposed to a meeting that they attend. Um, and that's actually an important point to get, I think. I'll just before we go, and I'll just just say a bit more about that. I think it's really important if you want to run with this to get people away from seeing gospel community as an appointment as a meeting that you attend. You want them to think of it much more as a community that you live in. And I think family is really the best illustration you can use for that. For example, um, my, uh, my family, the Lynch family, what we uh, had going for a while was a family barbecue. My dad organised it, happened about once a month. Uh, it, it rose up because uh, I'm a pastor, my brother... Um, is a pastor as well. Uh, my, my dad isn't a Christian, but he is the um, CEO of the Fart Foundation in Tasmania, so he's a very busy guy. Um, my stepmother is a nurse, she's in shift work, and my sister's a really frantic student. So um, just connecting was very hard work. So Dan said, well, look, once a month we're going to get together as a Lynch family and have the Lynch family picnic. Uh, and that was great, because we were all get together. But we would never say that the Lynch family wasn't happening outside of that picnic, okay? I might go around and just see my dad and that would be the Lynch family happening, wouldn't it? Or um, my sister and my brother and I might get together. That's still the Lynch family happening there, isn't it? Or I go and um, help out my stepmother with some gardening stuff. That, that too is an expression of the Lynch family happening. There, there, there is a big Lynch family barbecue and part of being in the Lynch family is you go along and attend the barbecue but the Lynch family is much more than the barbecue, and in fact, even if you miss the barbecue that month, you don't stop being part of the Lynch family because of it, or you haven't experienced the Lynch family that month because you, you sort of see the shift in thinking, like it's, it's a shift away from an appointment um, and a scheduled thing, and much more thinking of the community as as a, as a family, as a community, really, not an appointment, as a community that you live in. So it's a community, it's a family, it's not an appointment, um, and as I said in this context. Um, it's in this context that we work very hard at leading others to live mission-shaped lives. And what I'll do is I'll just sort of wrap up this bit of me speaking, and I'll hand over to questions soon. But I'll, I'll just what I'll do is just sort of whiz you through, I guess, some of the things that we do, um, just to give you a bit of a taste as to as to what mission looks like in that context. Okay, so I'll just bang out a whole heap of stuff, this is stuff we do, it's a bit overwhelming, don't worry, there'll be a chance to ask questions, um, it's really just giving you a bit of a, a feel for what it looks like. Okay, so how do we teach and empower people to pursue mission-shaped lives in Gospel communities? Well, to begin with, what we do in every Gospel community, we have a leadership team of four people, at least four people. Uh, it's another area where I think gospel communities need to be a bit different from a standard Bible study group. I think in a, in a Bible study group, uh, you can get away with just having one leader, really, someone that knows how to teach the Bible and can organise prayer points, and that's basically all you need. Um, but for a community, you actually need more uh, than just that happening. We think you need about four. As a as community grows, we like to see the number of leaders in that community grow as well so that the community can multiply down the track and have enough leaders to do that with. But we try not to, in fact we don't, we decided now we won't, plant a gospel community without a leadership team of at least four people. Um, Part of that's to do with just being able to model what the community needs to look like. It's very hard to model it if it's just one person. You can can model what an engaged Christian looks like but it's hard to give people a taste of community when it's just you, you know, so part of it's for that. Um, the other reason is to make sure all the key things kind of tick over. So, the, the leadership that we have, we have one that oversees the Bible teaching and the big picture stuff. We have one leader that handles all the sort of the practical logistical communication sort of stuff. We've got one leader that coordinates all of the youth and children stuff. And then the other one um, that we'll talk about now is called the mission coordinator or MC for short. Um, And really, it's this fourth role that we think is just absolutely vital in terms of keeping the Gospel community focused on mission. It's important to note that the mission coordinators aren't there to do all the mission. They don't just do it themselves. But rather we get them to keep the missional identity of the community front and centre. That's what they're there to do. They're to keep that kind of missional focus. Um, it's their job to make sure that mission stays on the radar uh, and that the gospel community is active in keeping an outward focus in its sort of in month-in, month-out life. What does it look like in practice? Well, at least a couple of times a year, we encourage our mission coordinators to mobilise the community to do a whole gospel community mission event and we, we want each gospel community to do that at least a couple of times a year. We want that event to be something that everyone in the community can do, so something that the kids can do right through to the older people. Um, incidentally, this is another important thing I think, just to set it on the side, I think one of the ways that we need people to live missionally is we start very young. Uh, so we try to make sure even the little kids in our gospel communities can be involved in the, some, at least some of the missional stuff that we do uh, because we want them to see, we want to model to them from day one that actually mission is just a part of the Christian life. Yeah, it's not just this thing that some um, super cream kind of crazy people do over in the jungles of Africa. It's a normal part of the Christian life for every Christian regardless of your age, gender, or personality and they get to see it because they get to see everyone in their gospel community making it a priority, doing it together, doing it with them and our aim is that kids will grow up seeing that mission isn't just something for the super keen being adults in the church, it's something that we all do, mum and dad make it so our family do it together and because they've shared life with all these people they know that you know, this guy is actually a very quiet, introverted person, so that's how I am. Well, that, you know, that's OK, there's still a place in mission for people like that. Oh, that girl over like there is a very loud, extroverted person, and, and, and I am too, and that's OK. People like that can be involved and, 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 and all, all the rest of it. So we do start trying to disciple kids from day dot in mission. Um, and at these big whole mission events, we try to get kids involved so they can see that. So some examples of that would be... Um, There's an international student ministry in Hobart and our church actually supports that ministry financially. We pray for it, we give money to it. But in addition... We get our gospel communities a couple of times a year to actually take the whole community, they'll go into the big Friday night meeting that this international student ministry holds. Uh, We get the whole community to pray for it and the leader. They cook food for all the international students. They'll go in, they'll serve the food, they'll sit down, they'll eat with the students. Um, If there's any musos in the community, they'll play music at the meeting and so on. That would be an example of that kind of thing. Um, Another one of our communities connected with a local women's shelter and they've been in to help out there. So uh, last year, they completely redid the, the ground so that the women in the shelter had a nice place to sit and their kids could play. Um, we've had a GC connect with a sorry, gospel community. I call them GCs for sure in case you're struggling to keep up with the abbreviations. Um, uh, we, we had one uh, connect with a local community garden. All sorts of stuff, okay? Uh, now, at, at these big whole community mission events, often not a lot of actual evangelism happens in terms of people actually getting to explain the gospel. It does sometimes, but but often not. But the point is just to get everyone in the community thinking like a missionary. Okay? Praying like a missionary, thinking, having mission on their calendar somewhere. Going, actually, yeah, on that day I'm going to make it a priority with my family to do something that is outward focus, that's outside of um, my church Circles, looking at reaching people out there. Okay, not just expecting people to come into the building, but I'm going to go out and get where the people are and serve in some way like that. That's the big idea there. And also, we want to show people that everyone can do it. Uh, it's a really good way to empower people because the things that I listed, you can do it. doesn't matter what your personality is like. Yeah? You, you don't have to be an amazing... Um, speaking person to go and, and, and do some weeding at a women's shelter. You, you can be a, a very quiet, introverted person and do that. Yeah? Um, it doesn't matter what your personality is like. If you're a very practical person then there's all sorts of ways that you can be involved in these sorts of events. And of course it's very easy to include children and, and it's fun. So our aim is just that mission will be a basic part of their Christian life. And of course, that also does provide a platform for those of us that are very good or confident at speaking to people to share the, the gospel in that context as well and maybe model something of that too. So that's, that's, that's the big sort of, um, we, we try and do that a couple of years, two to three, four times a year, something like that. We encourage our mission coordinators to organise. If we come in a little bit closer, we also um, encourage our gospel communities to think about more regular things that they can do as well. So last year, once every couple of months, my gospel community had a Sunday lunch with an elderly lady from the area. Um, She had a mental handicap, very, very socially isolated. And so her and her carer would just come and have Sunday lunch with our community, once every couple of months. Pretty simple, Um, but but great, we just try to be family to her and and love her. And again, actually we were able to involve almost all of the community in that, but that was a bit more regular. That was something that was happening once every couple of months or so. Um, Another gospel community got in touch with a guy. Uh, He lived in the neighbourhood. He had quite advanced MS and he was unable to look after his house and his garden very well. So this community, once every couple of months, they'd go in, they'd do his garden for him, they'd do his house for him. Um, another GC had a couple of mums that were really passionate about running a community music sort of program uh, for preschool kids and their carers, and so they set up a, a mainly music, I don't know if you've heard of mainly music, it's kind of a little thing that mums come along to, with kids or carers come along to, little kids and you sing and you dance and have morning tea, lots of fun. So you've got the really big kind of once every couple of you type things, but then there's some more regular things that we encourage the community, just to look around at the neighbourhood that they're in with the people that they know and go, well, actually, where are there opportunities that we can connect with people a bit more regularly and, and, and build relationships in that context? So um, so that's that level. But we also encourage people to think about it at a level closer to home than that as well because we want our um, gospel communities to think and pray about what they can be doing to reach the non-Christians' that are in our lives whom we're very familiar with. So if those other two categories are going out to people we don't really know and saying, hey, we want to help you, we want to love you, we want to serve you, we want to be in your life, um, this next level is thinking about, well, hang on, who are the people that are actually in your life anyway and how do you reach them? I'm talking family members, uh, I'm talking friends, I'm talking work colleagues. How do you reach those people? So we pray for them often, and we think creatively about whether there are things we can organise to do, either as a whole group or, or maybe just the mum, say, or just a couple of the guys or whatever, to try and reach those people. Because sometimes um, you know, it might be the person that you, um, you, you meet at work Uh, you're not going to necessarily be able to get him straight into a whole gospel community thing, but you might just go, well, actually, he could get along with with those two guys in my gospel community, so how about I organise to watch the footy or something one night and just get him to meet one or two others, and from there, he gets to meet the rest of the community. So we try to think that through, we pray about that, and we try and organise things that are going to reach those people. And again, I just think that by doing that regularly, um, it's so important in terms of, of, of encouraging people to have a mission-shaped life, to pursue a mission lifestyle. Because I think a lot of people just have got no idea where to start when it comes to reaching family or friends or work colleagues. Okay? They know that it's good to bring people to church, but a lot of people they know won't come to church. Okay? They know that it would be great to bring their friend to a Christianity Explored type course but a lot of the people they know don't want to come to one of those courses. And so there's are stumped, then aren't they? It's like, well, hang on, I know that's good and I know that's good, but no-one wants to come, so where does that leave me? What, what other option is there? What do I do? They've got no idea how to progress stuff in between. But in Gospel community, we can brainstorm with them <coughs> okay? and we can suggest stuff and we can try and organise things And more than anything, we can just show a willingness to partner with them in reaching their friends and family. To show them that they're not alone in that. And that actually, if we get creative, there's all sorts of possibilities that we can together put on the table to make the most of the relationships they already have. And I'm really pleased to say, as a result, a lot of our Gospel communities will quite regularly have non-Christian people involved in what they're doing, which is really good. Um, so last year, ours um, even had a, a non-Christian lady who uh, one of our friends nursed with. Uh, she'd moved from interstate, so she had no family or anything. She started off just having her around for, um, for, for well, I think it was Easter time actually, was when it began. She came around for an Easter lunch. Loved it, just started coming along to all the social stuff we did. From then started coming along to all the Bible study stuff we did and even started coming along to some of the mission stuff we did, which was really weird because you had this non-Christian lady coming along to do mission with us. And <coughs> so I was like, oh, this international student thing and the leader of that and he works for AFDS. He was like, oh, great, great to have you with us. So, um, so you go to summer of do you? And she's like, oh, no. He's like, oh, okay. Um, so you know, which church do you go to? Oh, I don't go to church. Oh, okay. You a Christian? No, not at all. And yet there she is, sort of wanting to cook for the international students and serve it. It's just really, that kind of messed with my head even. A bit weird, but exciting. Um, and that's the great thing about it. You end up with, uh, this year now, we've got um, a, a lady married to a non-Christian guy, very hostile to Christianity, and he's never wanted to go to church. Uh, in the churches she's been in before, very suspicious, would never come on a Sunday. Um, and yet, regularly, now is a part of rule-ops that we do as a gospel community. It's just, just fantastic. Um, so really, really good when you see that start to happen. And this sort of leads into really the last thing I just wanted to share, uh, the last concrete thing that we try to do together um, to empower people on mission. This is something that we've really started to push on. We've, we've done this over the, the whole time but we're really pushing hard on this now. And that is we aim to get our gospel communities actually running Christianity Explained type courses. So in the past we've used God and You. Um, We've used one called The World We All Want. Um, This year we're using the re-released Introducing God course, which has been really good because it's um, very easy to use. It basically all operates around a DVD. You put it on, you play it. You don't actually need someone that's an amazing Bible study leader or anything to facilitate the discussion. The DVD kind of does that. You eat together and you chat about it. So that's worked really well. It doesn't really matter what you use, uh, but we've encouraged all of our gospel communities to run one of these courses and we want that to be something that they do regularly. And I think this is empowering in a few ways. Firstly, it makes it quite easy for people to invite friends and family Because by the time you actually get around to doing the course, the people you're inviting already feel pretty well at home in the Gospel community. So, that lady I talked about before that came and did the mission stuff with us, for months she'd been eating with us, socialising with us, even studying the Bible with us, even doing mission mission activities with us. So, actually, when it came time to say, well, we're going to do this course now... um, that was easy pie for her because she was so involved with the community for months already that it wasn't a weird thing to come along to this extra thing. It was just doing more of the same with a group of people that she already knew, already loved and, and really enjoyed being around. So it just makes it so easy when, when someone's connected to the community already. It's just a natural flow. And actually the flow out's easy as well because often um, you run a, an introducing God course and someone goes, well, I want to become a Christian... And then follow-up is a big deal and it's hard. And how do you get them then from going from, from non-Christian life into meeting with a growth group and serving at church and doing all these kinds of things? Well, this way it's all it's just a natural progression. They've just started with that. They've heard the gospel explained, they come to faith in Jesus, and then they just go back to doing what they did there, but this time they're doing it trusting Jesus as Lord and Saviour, not just because they enjoy it socially. Um, so it's it's very easy to, to bring people in. Um, but it's also empowering, I think, because often what happens is when people um, sit through a course like that, you're training them in the gospel as well. So you're actually training the Christians that sit through the course in how to explain the gospel to people. Um, and also, to sit through a course and see someone become a Christian is something that's very empowering and exciting for Christians too. And sadly, what's often happened in churches I've been a part of in the past is that the only people that get to see that are the really keen evangelists anyway because they're the ones that bring their non-Christian friend to the course. So they get to see the course happen. They get to see the non-Christian person hear the gospel and come to faith. But all the people that you want to empower never actually get to see that very much because they've never got anyone to bring and so they never come to the course and they never see it. Whereas this way actually... Everyone gets to see that happen, and it's exciting and empowering, and it gives everyone a bit of a passion for um, for reaching out to the lost. Um, it's great. We've got three of our gospel communities actually running introducing God at the moment, and we've got about nine, I think, about nine non-Christian people across those three gospel communities now doing that course, which is just really exciting. One of them seems like she's so close. So um, we'd value your prayers for that. Um, I've been talking a lot. That's just a bit of a brief snapshot to try and give you a bit of a feel about how it looks at some of these. But I guess what I really want to reiterate is that so much of their magic happens because of the life sharing, I think, at the end of the day. Because when you're helping someone grow as a missionary, you actually need to know their honest fears. And you need to understand their busyness. And you need to understand their stress. You actually need to know when they're just making excuses and they need to be challenged and corrected. And you also need to know when actually, I just need to back off and leave them be for a bit because they're going to a stage of life where they just haven't got the space for it. But they also need to know you too. Um, They need to see that you're not some kind of Superman, extra holy person that just magically makes Christians appear. Um, They need to see that you have a normal, stressful, busy life, that you've got insecurities. And they need to see that despite all of that, you're still passionate about the great and glorious mission of God, that you will still sacrifice for it and structure your life around it. And I think when they can see that, they will be so much more likely to accept your invitation to join in. But they'll only see that if you really share your life with them. Mm. Make sense? Mm. Yeah. Look, I've just dumped a whole heap of stuff on you. I'll stop to... This audio is provided as a free ministry of the MacKinnon Reformed Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, Australia. Visit our website at mckinnonrp.org.au. Thank you for listening.